Hi everyone. When deciding to do this podcast, the first person I reached out to for an interview was Lisa Gaida. I knew if I wanted to work on a project that was based in honesty, authenticity, and how to survive many years in the biz, there was no better woman to speak to than Lisa Gaida. Lisa has done 18 Broadway shows. I mean, holy shit. She has done hits and flops. She has originated roles in Broadway companies. She has replaced in Broadway companies. She's done TV and film. She truly has done it all. She has been behind the table as a choreographer, collaborating with Miss Mary Ann Lamb. But she decided that route was just not for her. At 50 years old, she has hung up her fishnets and is now pursuing her master's in marriage and family therapy at Mercy College this fall. After spending decades as a performer, she hopes to serve as a therapist to artists in the future. I mean, come on, how awesome is that? If you don't know Lisa, she is a hoot. She is a magical paradox of a woman. She is sensitive yet assertive, easygoing yet opinionated, motherly yet a down in the dirt kind of gal. I am her biggest fan, and I have no doubt you are about to be too. Here is Lisa Gaida. So we are so lucky to have you here at Ripley Studios. <laughs> Back at your old stomping grounds. Oh, yeah. Does it feel like it? You know what's funny? Like the last two times I came to Ripley Greer, I did one episode with my friend Nate Patton. He has a podcast and I did an episode. I loved quick, it. I, I, yeah. So funny. And I love him and I love, you know, and so I came here to do that. And this second time, it's like the second time I came and it's like, I forget to, I keep forgetting to be traumatized. Like I, like <laughs> for, like, I have been retired now. It's kind of confusing because I, I kind of retired when I was, I did a show and I think I was like 44 and I was planning to do IVF for my son. So I turned down some work and that was the beginning of my not working it. Like, then I never really sure. worked again. Then there was a show that I did when I was 47. So now I'm in earlier. And then right. I wound up doing that show. So I've been retired now. So if I'm 50, like, really kind of, like, in my mind, six years. And I guess that's, like, long not enough. Not physically, where, right? I guess you were still doing the motions, but, yeah. I pop in here and there to do a job. Mm. And um, for money, I, if the money is good, I will yeah. dance. And um, <laughs> it's, like... Like, I don't even notice it, you know? Like, yeah. I don't notice that I'm dancing. It does. It's, like, so natural for me in a way. Not saying I'm good at it, because I actually still don't <laughs> think so. But it's so normal for me. A lot of people beg to differ. I don't know about that. I, I, I do. So, on this show, we are starting at the very tippy top. Okay. Because there's just no better place to start. Great. Um, can you tell me a little bit about yourself as a little kid? What was little Lisa like? What, it, what was her personality? Um, <laughs> so, as a little kid... Let's see. It's complicated. <laughs> complicated's good. Complicated. So I was, oh God, you know, one of the things that happens when you get older is that you experience, like when you're young, you experience, like, is, was the word, I actually learned this last year during the election, like things are binary. 
Binary is a new word in society. It's like a new we word. Use it a lot. Yeah. Now. yeah. And so as a child, so like there were lots of conflicting things going on, mm. and some things were really terrific and mm. uncommonly marvelous, and some things were really not great. Mm. So me as a child, I was um, uh, angry. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> and. Um, What's the word? I felt very alive. This is something that's like a through line throughout my life. Very alive when I was in motion and safe. So when I was outside on my bicycle, running around, bossing, I was bossy. Um, oh, I was so bossy. Yeah, yes. really, like, truly, like, never more <laughs> alive than when I was telling other people what to do. Which is funny because I do not love leading now. Like, I've right. had to learn how to lead um, as an adult. But um, I think hormones sometimes play into things like that. Like, because it was pre pre- Lady hormones, yeah, and society. <laughs> sure, yeah. Before society told you that wasn't for you. Yeah, probably. Combo. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, so basically, that's a, you know. So I was sort of always ambitious, always uh, pushed outward, uh, always mm. social, um, always at home in motion. Always felt prettiest in motion. Mm. Always felt the most um, alive and and all those things. So that's how. Yeah. Were you expressive? Did you start? When did you feel like you had an interest in? more of the artsy things that came into your life. Was that later on or was, did you start make believe early? Was it? You know, one of the things that always happens to me though, I have no imagination and, and I actually, now I have two kids and I just, I just, and I love being a mother like to the point that it's a little nuts. <laughs> but, and I'm talking about uncommon, it's a little unusual, the degree to that. which I like it. Um, but I do hate playing, and it's because I have no, I do not I have I hate that any, as well. I have, yeah. So playing, That's hysterical. And I, I flat out say, like, you know mommy does not like to play. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they'll, they'll literally bring that up 20 years from I now. know. Well, too bad, like, I can't be everything. Like yeah. <laughs> so you can only be so many things. I mean, I really try. What did you want to be then, if uh, Make well, Believe wasn't? I mean, I, I made believe, when I made believe, it was a little bit about, I did make believe in the, in the, I, the thing even about dancing, the thing that was always the truest to me, so dancing becomes, for anyone who dances or anyone who performs, like I can speak for dancing, because I know a lot of people that have done it, it <laughs> becomes many things yeah. to people, and a lot of those things, when, I'm, when you're done with it, you look back and go, wow, so much of what I pursued wasn't even the truth of my connection to dancing. Absolutely. So much of what I did, so much of what I valued, so much of what I cultivated was so far away from like the original connection. And that's fine. It's a privileged life and it's fine. Yes. <laughs> but the truth always was, was I never wanted to lose myself in anything. I never had that ability, which is why acting was always so challenging for me. Uh, the whole too. time, I just felt like a weird fake liar when <laughs> yeah. I, you know what I, and I just felt self-conscious and I also didn't really want to share pieces of myself. That, yes, I, you know, I have a difficult time with the vulnerability of it. I mean, it is, yeah, I was always uncomfortable with the vulnerability, but in all fairness, some people don't want to be vulnerable in front of other people and that's not, doesn't, that's not necessarily wrong. We're all different. Sure. So like for me, already vulnerability is a touchy spot. Right. And so maybe I never really wanted to do it in front of 1,600 <laughs> fucking strangers. And no one should be mad if, at you otherwise. Yeah, if you don't want to. Some people are gifted and for them it's not like giving something away that, they're, that they want to keep. Like right. I look at like Jeffrey Wright, that actor. I watched him in a play once and... It was so like thoroughly generous. Mm. It wasn't about him, it seemed, in the friggin' slightest. And it was just like, some people were made for that and some people weren't. So anyway. And tapping into it can be so much easier for other people. That it, it was just something that was so accessible to them as well. And what, it doesn't feel the way it maybe felt when you were trying to find that. I could, you know, what's, the thing is, is that 
what I found when I graduated dance, which is how I talk about it, is <laughs> that all the things that drove me crazy when I was a performer are my strengths. Sure. Or maybe they're this. It's not true because those things. That, I don't want to minimize like the the things that helps me have a gloriously lucky life, but they are the things that I hated the most. Are these that I found those really were strengths. So they feel like the greatest strengths now because they were so unexplored. You know, mm-hmm. so like the yeah. part of me that was like, sorry, I'm not sure. I don't want to share myself. Yeah. I, and sorry, I have a little guy on my shoulder that tells me what's, <laughs> that, you know, all the t- always talking to me. Like I was never free in the yeah. way that I wanted to see. And like these are all things that are useful as a woman, right. not useful as a performer. You know what I mean? Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah. So well, as a little, a little kid, uh, not very imaginative and mostly yeah. just on my bike. And I had a, was raised by a very creative mom. Cool. So creativity was a part of everything that we did. And when did dance fall in? Uh, I took dance class at Spanish tap when I was five. Spanish tap? Spanish tap. I need more. Tika bump bump. I barely, like, (laughs) tika bump bump, toe heel heel. Oh my Um, god, that's awesome. I had a really kind teacher in Queens. We lived in Queens. Her name was Gloria. Um, shout out to Gloria. We're shout giving out to all Gloria. the shout outs to the teachers on this podcast. Long dead Gloria. Oh, sorry, Gloria. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. She was kind. And uh, my mom made me go because uh, my mother was very permissive, as I am, but mm. she forced me to go to ballet. I mean, not ballet, but tap because I came home happy. Mm. So, and I was a sort of surly kid at times. So uh, that was a, she sort of recognized the connection and pushed it. Oh, very cool. Yeah. And when, at that point, was it clear to you that it was going to maybe be a career, that it was even an option to be a career, or was it just you had been doing it your whole life and all of a sudden you were maybe better than what you thought? Um, was there a teacher that told you that, or did you play forward on your own? No, it's like, just like everything, like that old lady point of view, it's like stained glass, it's like there's 70 million pieces to everything. Right. And they all conflict with each other. Sure. So, you know, I think I started getting serious about... I had a rough year in seventh grade where I was, like, a very mean child and cruel to people. And I apologize (laughs) on Facebook regularly to people I was, like, just really not nice. Like, not nice. I was so unhappy. And that's what I'll say. Like, I'll be like, it's not okay. Like, But I was just... if Just so you know, I was so unhappy. I didn't know what I was doing. So I was, like, really cool. So when I turned uh, in seventh grade, the entire school turned against me. And it was fair. (laughs) <laughs> it was a total like takeover affair. Totally oh my god, that's yeah. It was a coup. Epic. It was a coup. And uh, I so like I'm sorry to bring like like stuff like that up, but like that's really oh, when goodness. I had nothing. Just like people will say, probably I had nothing else. So I kind of like dug into dance more. It was just something to do, um, and it's also a stress reliever. And music playing and being in motion is just good for anybody. I think. And what's meant for you is there for you so ultimately it may have felt like ah, oh, yeah I'm good at it and I'm doing it but ultimately that was just the way that it, you found it yeah I was um, always a little good at it. I was never like you know there was an age at which I kind of emerged as mm. sort of like a little bit you know like it seemed like something was going on but uh, <laughs> not then you know when I was like 16 it kind of I took it like started to take jazz in ballet I didn't really wasn't quite made for it, so it was... Oh, yeah. I yeah. was, like, the disappointment of the century yeah. at my studio. They, I walked in a room, and it was like, she's going to be our ballerina. And then I did one thing, and they were like, we've lost all hope. I'm it really was, surprised. Oh, it was devastating. I joke about it now. I mean, I think that was... Because I quit dance for a little bit. I had to walk away from some of it, because it was just... 
it looked like it wasn't accepting me yeah, at that point. Totally. Um, and I, re- I wasn't necessarily accepting it, but I started mm-hmm. tap dancing and that basically um, saved my life from those like middle years where you're just like, who am I? I don't feel cute. You're going through all the different like stages so of important. growing up and tap dance was that. So thank God because ballet turned its back on me pretty pretty quickly. Ballet is like a, is, is a, it's its own thing. Like there's something sort of beautiful about right. it if you can explore it in a certain way. And it's actually, as long as someone else is fucking compromising all of their well-being, then good. I love watching it. You, you <laughs> so starve. I watch all the documentaries. I'm like, wow. It's, I have such a deep love. For, like, I had to take a uh, dance course for school. I, I, I'm finishing up my bachelor's. Yes. And I had to take a dance course for school, and I was like, oh my god, this is the dumbest thing. Like, I just don't care about dance right now. Like, it's just the last thing on my mind. And I, was, I was watching these dance, and I was, it's like, I was like, oh, this moves me still. Like, I'm yeah. still, like... There's just something about it. I have such a sort of hostile relationship because the pendulum has swung from my obsession until I was into my 40s, mm. early 40s. It swung the other direction and everything that I wasn't um, experiencing, pushing down, has come out. So like now I'm experiencing all of the like, wow, maybe you should have been nice to yourself or you know whatever. Sure. It's also you have to swing both ways to find the middle ground, right? And I look forward to finding the middle ground because it was a very <laughs> lucky fucking life. Yes. I mean like really lucky and really joyful and very special and very sure. rare and all of those things. Uh, but but it, I am always reminded when I when I see beautiful dancing that like I'm a dancer. Yes. In my bones. Even if I never got paid one time. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of not paid one time, um, can you remember the transition from whatever graduation looks like for you going from you were in Queens you said you lived in New York I actually I started out and my family was in Queens and then we moved to Long Island great next so then you're in Long Island when did you where did you go what was next did you I believe I know the answer but what I just know you didn't you move to LA did it basically yeah so I had a very special dance teacher growing up to whom I owe a lot so his name was Eddie Zawaki and shout out to Eddie. Shout out to Eddie because he's an enormous, he's just so in how I move. Mm. And and he he was really complex because he was really dysfunctional. And I would, I don't want to say that to his face, but like, it's just, I think he knows there was an element. Yeah. I don't know if he would label it that way. I mean, but he was also really brilliant in the way that he conveyed. He had, he was, he was, his passion was completely contagious and he dancing in his studio was so thrilling and like all encompassing. Um, cool. The downside of Eddie was that he would be like he would, he would you know he was frustrated. He was working with a lot of sort of lonely housewives and chubby suburban kids like me, and he was just like what am I? And he was the real deal. He and his wife were the real deal, and they wound up in Great Neck, young and talented. Mm. And I don't know what I can't speak for him, but I'm guessing that might be why he would like turn to me and be like, "Oh, go to college." You sure. will never be, you know. Yeah. And it, he would vacillate like many teachers, dance teachers have, with thinking that I could ever sometime be a dancer, and also being like, you. If you're, he would say like, if you, he came from an even different time than me, and he would say, if you aren't in a company by the age of sixteen, right. you will never dance. And so I, sixteen had come and gone, and I was like, I will never dance. And I would see, hear yeah. the Nutcracker, and like my heart would break because I think there was a part of me. <laughs> that ne- didn't necessarily believe I could ever be like one of the lucky people that would get to do it but right. I I just I just felt like a dancer in my bones mm. a- and I know many people do and whether or not they ever get paid is not really what makes them a dancer sure. you know it's like you are or you aren't one mm. 
And because I was, I would get that feeling. So I didn't think I would ever dance because Eddie always told, <laughs> told me, Thanks, all of us, that we wouldn't. Um, and uh, and did you know there was um, more than company dance or was it? No, I didn't know the first yeah, thing about anything. I had no idea I was either. just like a weird, I grew up so close to New York City. I was very busy surviving in my own weird way. And it's a tricky thing to say knowing how difficult people's fucking lives are in the world and sure. in this country. Yeah. But in my own weird suburban way, I mean, just spiritually, like emotionally, um, definitely whether other people have a harder time, definitely struggling. So mm. because I was trying to figure uh, out how to be, yeah. it wasn't also not, it was not, I didn't have, a, it wasn't a priority. I was just trying to like keep my head above water. Mm. I graduated the last in my class. Um, and had nothing, I mean, my, I always said like, there was like nothing else I could do. So I was like, might as well, cause I'm a little good at this. <laughs> yeah. And I went into the city, run towards going to run toward this thing that I'm <laughs> yeah. like just a little good at. And, uh, I went to Nassau community college for five seconds to see if that <laughs> for was a split what, sec. for a split sec. And while I was going to Nassau community college, I was also really frequently going into the city at steps. And like, that was the time that it like the bug bit me. Hard and, and I can only I imagine obsessed. what steps was like at that point in time. It was amazing. I was just oh. like, it's like one of those pure times that happens once in a while where I was like, I don't care how good I am. I mm. just need this. Yeah. You know, I was just like, I want to be so that kind of clarity too that only comes with being young, like crystal fucking clear yeah. that this was what I needed to do all day, every day, like seven days a week. Yeah. So, and so I went to steps and, um, uh, I auditioned for scholarship a bunch of times. I didn't get on scholarship. I always say that. Um, and um, eventually got onto scholarship at Steps and worked some hours at the front desk. And I'd never, like, that was, like, there were a couple of times in my life, really two, Steps and when I had my kids. Like, there mm. was, uh, in terms of, like, fundamental, like, bright light paradigm shifts into, like, absolute clarity and bliss. Wow. You know? And you can think back in points in time in your life where you feel that, um, and then we're probably just in a constant search to find it again, right? I think so, and it takes some maturity to recognize that that there's a downside to that kind of clarity. It feels right. so good, and it's you've earned it. Like basically, I kind of earned it by fighting for myself for so long. Absolutely. And so then you know, and I kind of earn. And again, I say that knowing that you know, I know that I had a lucky life right. in many ways. Um, but uh, and I'm not going to say that again because it's totally boring. But just it's understood. <laughs> no, absolutely, and it's important to acknowledge. But everything's yeah. relative, and especially as a child, your blinders, your yeah, you know? and you are just totally engulfed in whatever your situation yeah. is. You experience life the way you do. Yeah. So you know. Um, so you were at Steps, and then studied like three classes a day, seven days a week for years, and like yes. didn't do anything else. And I just stopped going to Nassau Community College. Like, see you later. Didn't like I don't know what my parent like nobody. <laughs> It's just, I just stopped going. I don't remember having a conversation. Yeah, you I just, just were good. <laughs> and then I was on scholarship at Steps, and that was my college, and basically. And then when I finished, uh, then I took a road trip with my best friend, Allison, who I'm still friends with, uh, across the country. And we, I wound up getting an agent who was watching a class in L.A. that I was taking. And I lived in L.A. for like five years. And the road trip took you to L.A.? It took me to L.A. And again, my family, like kind of like marvelously <laughs> low, like low like, maintenance huh. and also you know, nuts. Like, yeah. I was like, so I'm going to keep the car. <laughs> yeah. I live in LA Hope now. Hope you don't mind. Yeah, Hope you don't totally. mind. And so, yeah. And they were just like, okay. 
And what was LA like in comparison to what you had experienced in New York at Stuff? It was very different. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I studied commercial dance and that's where commercial dance was hot. Like right. all my, my, my friends were better dancers than I was. They were the best. And they were working, they were like going on tour, but they were just becoming adults really quickly. They had the Jeeps and going to like <laughs> yeah, Jeeps when Jeeps. Jeeps were in. This is like before you were I born. I want a Jeep. Definitely. Are they back in again? They are so back there in. And so my friend Keith, Keith who is now Tice, um, had a, who's like a famous That's choreographer. Amazing. Yeah. I didn't realize there was a pre-name. There was a pre-name, but his mother had always wanted to name him Tice. So he got to get the name So he took the name that he was intended to have yes. when he was old enough to decide for himself. Because his go. mom lost a battle with his dad. Um, oh, man. And so Tice took it back. Tice um, stole it back. He stole that shit back. He's one of my best <laughs> oldest friends. I love that. And so he was living in LA and nailing it. And um, it just seemed like I was in at an age where the intention was to take over the world. And if you were going to take over the world, you took it over in LA. That's where you went to take over the world. And, um, and I struggled. I was kind of a little bit of a weird, I was always, always, always my whole career. This is another thing I'm just so glad never to do again. Like I was never quite pretty enough. Like I was pretty enough. Like I was, I always say like the ugliest girl in the pretty show. Like I was pretty enough to you be the ugliest girl. You say that all the time. And I just think that's so Just look at my place. <laughs> she's, oh, I'm always at the last one on the fucking line. Like I got, I got that healthcare and I got that gig, <laughs> yes. but I was on the right. You're incredible. <laughs> and I'm so glad. Like, I will occasionally... I recently worked, like, just one second, and it was a really positive atmosphere, and everybody was very kind. In L.A.? No, here. Oh, okay. And I, it just, like, came down to, once again, just, like, I'm really not, like, an object. Like, right. I'm kind of, like, attractive to myself as a human being, and I'm not attractive to myself or anyone else. Right. There are better objects. Right. So, like, when Oh, we'll dive into that. Yeah, when you're so hired curious. to be something that somebody would want to look... I wouldn't want to look at me, but I'm glad I'm me. <laughs> no. I would if I I'd pay good here. money to look at you. No, I would never want to pay to see that. I'd want to see something prettier. And that is always basically what happened when I worked. Mm. So, like, people like me, and I'm pretty... When I'm in an audition, I'm myself. Mm. So I actually am pretty enough in an audition. And you put me in a wig and you put me in an era and it's like, what's this girl's like not that pre- like not that pretty <laughs> in this context. So anyway. So LA is so much about LA is that. really very much about right. look. But at, you know, as usual, I kind of like forced my fucking way. I was yeah. like, oh no, I'm gonna and I and I had I had a good career in LA. Mm. Um I had to relearn, you know, at the time, and it's probably still true. I had a lot of sort of New York kind of technique and I had to unlearn that and LA was a lot about being a pedestrian. Mm, mm-hmm. Hiding. You had to have technique but you had to sort of hide it in a way that I thought was kind of, I respected that concept. Yeah, I like that too. Yeah, and um, it was like not cool to have technique. Caring and trying like that is kind of like, you know what I mean? But yeah. you have, you do, but you just hide it. Like, yeah. Um, and it's about look and I learned, I started making important decisions in LA. Like I learned what I was and how to exploit that as opposed to, you know, you have a decision to make, like, right. am I going to get a boob job? Am I going to try and become like something <laughs> really far away from everything that I am? Or am I going to try and exploit what I am and get mm-hmm. less work, but be a little bit more, I think, I think people would probably do better and be more successful, like literally, um, if they just say, all right, so I have no tits, I have short brown hair, <laughs> I'm the athletic, adorable, spunky contribution and just like lay into that and you lay I laid into that and it was just so like I started making choices like that and figuring out how to quote-unquote market myself which right. of course now makes me want to take a nap but at the time was very <laughs> interesting and useful to me when I came back right. to New York um, and that time I think of um, allowing yourself to 
go to LA and take that adventure is so much more about the human growth that comes from that. We that talk a lot about that. That was the important part. Yeah. Like the important part was the road trip. Yep. Like when I think about LA, I think about that road trip with my best friend, Zion National Park, being dirty in a car. Yeah. Like drinking big gulps, listening <laughs> to music, singing Billy Joel at the top of our lungs with open windows. Yep. Camping. And then learning about myself, which was very painful. Like LA was very lonely for me because my friends were great friends, but they had lives there. So right. when I moved there, I was really kind of alone. Mm. Um, and I got to have, this is the most annoying term ever, but the truth is, and this is so like, so American, but like I became <laughs> my best friend. Like I learned oh, how to spend yes. time with myself. Yeah. And I learned, so I kind of like, and it's a skill that I kept forever. Mm. So I can eat by myself. I can go to the movies by myself. That is need such that. an incredible skill set. It's and important. Because and we sometimes struggle with that quiet. I yeah. think when the quiet comes in and you're just left with yourself, like you're forced to face um, yeah. whatever you don't like that's it's going through your head or whatever's is, yeah. in front of you. And I think that's such a, a beautiful thing to have discovered pretty young from when you look at it. It was important to learn it young because yeah. it kind of shapes every choice you make after it. Like you know how to be like I have had I have seen people who are so afraid to be alone that they will stay in really really destructive situations where right. I'm not above a bad relationship <laughs> um, or staying in something that is beneath me mm-hmm. um, and at the same time like when it's time to go yeah. I can go like yeah. when it's time for me to go and maybe my fuse for mistreatment not miss like severe like really as an adult I was never mistreated but I, I was in a couple of rela- a relationship or two that was like not good enough nah, yeah, my fuse yeah. was maybe a little long for a not good enough <laughs> yeah. relationship absolutely when it was time to go I knew how to do it that's incredible. I love yeah. that. So then LA, a lonelier time, but tons of self-discovery. Yeah. Amazing creative career. It sounds like you did pretty well out there. And then what brought you back to I the I did city? well and I had big dry spells. Um, what uh, did you do during the dry spells? That's the thing. I was so unhappy there. It was such a terrible match for me. Mm. Um, that And then that's what I did. I learned. This is the beautiful thing too about like having difficult experiences like I learned that I belong here I learned right. about what I need mm. and I could articulate to you not that you want to hear because it's boring but like oh I on, love that no you don't want to <laughs> like on a list I could like tell you exactly what's important to me right. for having not had it and now when I'm here I'm so aware it's it's like 20 something years later and I'm absolutely like vividly clear about what I have here mm. because I spent five years like in something that wasn't a good fit And so much of the um, inspiration for creating this podcast and connecting with artists about um, their lives beyond their resumes has been to talk about how those dry spells inform so much of your life. They're the most important thing you will ever do. And we think that we've learned to live in the misery of it too much and to, it's like a taboo if you're unemployed, you're unsuccessful, when actually... We need to lay into that time a little bit more. Not only lay into it a little bit more, but when you graduate. Mm. What I have found is, so I, I had a successful career on paper. I had a successful career. What? what I'm such an uh, no. asshole. So annoying. <laughs> the slightest have, because you worked very hard for a very long time for a hefty, admirable career. It was a, ses- a successful career. And it was <laughs> full of, it, I had probably, I, it was mostly downtime. And that is such a gift because I needed, like, the, the wound in me, like, <laughs> needed 18 shows. In fact, it needed, like, 1,800 shows. <laughs> and then, and then, and I needed that. And I'm so glad, like, I would have found my way without it, mm. obviously. I was never going to, you know. But 
it, it's an easy way to check off like and never do it again like I get to right. look at everyone in the eye now and be like you can do that shit mm-hmm. and I can look at you in the eye and tell you so can I and I'm not doing it anymore absolutely it's it's just ego wise an easier thing to do it's easy it's also good to know what you're made of whatever you find out mm-hmm. so what you're made of is just like everything you learn along the way not mm-hmm. whether or not you got lots of shows um, yes. but the the great news is the downside is what made my transition how you process your low points or uh, unemployment or whatever it is um, is who you are like anyone can win in fact everybody yes. who keeps winning yes they're not getting what they need for life mm. it's just a, it's every time you're winning you're escaping something like you know what I mean for a mm-hmm. moment and then what you'll find is if you get to win many times you only get to escape even then, for a short time before you're back, you know, tangoing with your demons who have been waiting <laughs> yes. for you. Yes. You know what I mean? And who are going I nowhere. Love <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's a, and I think that's so important because we've talked um, so much of my conversation in developing this was with people about how, you know, this concept of Broadway, I glorified it as a child. And before I even knew really what Broadway was, I wanted it. <laughs> um, and I was going to do everything it took to get there. And then you're in New York, and you're living here, and all of a sudden your friends are on Broadway. Your world starts becoming closer and closer to that dream. And it's not this bright, shiny object that you've put up into the sky that's only for people who are um, deserving of it or whatever it may be. Like in your head, you create this idea of what it is. And it's a job, and it's a place that you work, and that you don't become a perfect happy person when you walk into the shows and I always said oh I'll be happy when I book my show Mm -hmm. I'll be happy when I get a great agent I'll be happy when and I think it's incredibly important that you're acknowledging um, the growth that happened in between the shows and the quiet time and then the work that obviously you put in on your own to get the shows that you have yeah you know like I, I tell my son Losing is like one of the most important things. I mean, and losing, I'm just, I'm framing it that way because that's how it can feel. I mean, I think over the course of my career, that changed. I liked being employed more than not. Sure. And I had an ego the whole time, of course. But I think, I mean, I never had a bad, there was, you know, a year and a half that I was unemployed in a row. And I was unemployed so often, and I never had a bad year Mm. in my mind. Mm -hmm. Like, those were years, those were years, you know, the thing about being in a, in shows, too, it's more than just a job. It's a dangerous job because it can be a real distraction from yourself and from and if you are the kind of person who works endlessly, you are going to be left with yourself. I promise you, you're going to get dropped off at a station with yourself fucking waiting there <laughs> and who you've been along the way. And honestly, losing, we'll just use the easy word, yeah. is where you're going to get everything you need to create the to to be well. Mm. winning does not make you well winning feels but it's not also bad either right it's like it's okay to try and then whatever happens it doesn't matter you will either get things or not get things but the real what's really important is just how you are in all of Mm. that so some people will get the get things and then they have to be really wise about how they navigate that and then not getting things you have to be really wise about how you navigate that and then when you graduate when you get off the thing that's what you have. Yeah. You know, you have a little resume or whatever um, that can be useful to get you through doors. But if you've been working on yourself and on life a certain way along the way, you will still get through doors. 
Right. Because you're going to have things that um, everybody wants. Knowing right. how to lose, knowing, knowing how to get what you don't want, knowing how to care for yourself when you feel rejected, knowing how to believe in yourself when no one else does, knowing how to be on your own side, knowing how to survive um, without one job carrying you along the way, yeah. knowing how to hustle, knowing how to suffer, knowing how to care for yourself and stuff. Like I said that again. But like basically <laughs> that's all. If you know how to care for yourself in suffering, you become brave. Mm. So if that's... The reason I said it twice is A, because I'm 50. B, I'm on caffeine. C, I traveled internationally last night. I'm on caffeine as well. We are so I good. never want to hear this. Oh my God, you have to. I'll never hear it. You're a genius. You have so much beautiful things to say in such a uh, receivable way. It's just something when you hear it, you go, right, right. And it um, comes from obviously like your vast amount of experience within it. Um, and the fact that it wasn't just, I mean, literally for people who don't know, like you have done 18 Broadway shows, I believe. Um, and that's not including the tours that you've done. That's Mm -hmm. not including, I'm sure the workshops and the things like there has been a really incredible career that you've had. And so looking at your resume, you've never been unemployed. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's what people think about everyone else's stuff. Now Um, social media makes it more like that. I was just going to say, and your social media is just pure joy. I mean, it is. I'm so money. happy. Oh my that. god, her social. You're because you're not on Instagram, right? It's just your a little Facebook. Bit. Yeah, it's just my kids. Um, on Instagram and really. Facebook. I love that you are number one. You call people out. Like I loved when for the new year, I believe you posted there's something recently. Oh, you April posted, Fools. I oh yes. Oh my god, on April Fools, <laughs> you posted. Um, I can't wait to announce something exciting I have going on. Yeah. Simply to poke fun at what we have created in our industry, which is the big social media reveal, and I talk about that in my intro, Um, and how that really starts the spiral of shame that we have in our industry that we only acknowledge success to be one thing, which is booking jobs, and we actually can't hold that close and hold the journey close enough that we get to just live through it and you've put in enough work that you booked yourself those jobs and it was a perfect season or a perfect opportunity that was made for you. Instead, we have to put it out into social media so everyone else knows that I'm working and I'm successful. And then you get to revel in the high of everyone saying, congrats, I'm so happy for you. And then that high drops like a heroin addict Mm -hmm. and then you need your fix again and it's a shameless spiral and it's lonely because Mm -hmm. you know what you can do when you share your struggle so I like prefer sharing my struggles anybody can fucking win (laughs) the worst people I know win all day and all night who fucking cares anybody can win Donald Trump won the presidency yes like it's just like winning is does not mean anything about what I get I like to win I like to win too there's a piece of me that likes to win it's all about context though Mm. so like yeah I like to win but like what are you willing to lose to have like what are you willing to like where is it on your list and what are you willing to sacrifice and right as I'm thinking about this I'm like I am willing to sacrifice quite a lot actually not I totally I'm this but I love I love to work yeah and it doesn't have to be necessarily um performing on stage work but I like to be engulfed in what I'm doing yeah which will mean I'll sacrifice a lot of things in order to make sure that That's I'm... That's different, though. That's mm. different from, like... So, like, I will... I recently... I should not say this because I want to be there. But, like, in school, I was, like, I had this enormous class, like, enormous workload, and I was, like, I can do two things. I can learn this, or I can figure out how to get the A. That's 
that's fair. I'm a quick fix. So if I learn this, then I'm not going to have the time to work on the things I know will get me an A. And so I totally went for the A. Uh, you know so what? So shame on me. It, that's Still. also education in a nutshell. It is. The it is. It's scale sh- in a nutshell. It is, but shame on me. I'm 49. <laughs> I'm 49 years old, and I don't even need the fucking A because I already got into a grad <laughs> yeah. program. Yes. So that we're gonna get you. there because I can't wait to hear um, yeah. about the next chapter in your life. So now I'd love for you to go into what auditioning was like for you in New York, when the jobs started going in, and just how. Um, that experience was and how that felt and when you one of the first jobs that comes to mind is I was a background dancer like an extra Pat Boone who's probably been dead for like 60 years <laughs> had like a show Japan was really big so I started dancing in the 80s mm. and professionally and um, I was like in my late teens and, um, and Pat <laughs> Boone was like doing a special for Japan and so and so they they were very into American dancers at the time and I danced in the background, like step touching, yes. like a bar mitzvah. Love. And that was, and I was paid like a tiny bit of money. And there were lights and cameras and makeup, and we were herded around, and they were like dancers, dancers. And that, so that was my first job, and it was an absolute like somebody calling me a dancer was a big deal to me, to yes. the point that I will never forget it. Like it mm. was really like again, it was just a big transition from being an unhappy person to a happy person and it's really that happiness wasn't about winning it was about finding home yes so absolutely like, and home for me it was very humble it was like whatever will take if it means dance class if it means this is my home and I'm gonna find a place to live in it mm. uh, I was always very practical like I'm not like a weird dreamer like I'm gonna be a star on Broadway like that actually is the opposite I was like I love to dance how can I get near it and how close yeah. can I get so is it going to be like in the center of it or is it going to be like, but I'm going to be near it. Mm, you know what I mean? So absolutely. like it was more like practical and it just, um, so anyway, being called a dancer. And then I sort of went to LA and I, my first job, big job was like a share video, I think. That's a blast. It was a blast and she was marvelous and <laughs> everything you want her to be as far as I can tell in one day. Yes. <laughs> and um, she likes strong women. You know, one yeah. of the keys to my uh I was very successful, and I always say I peaked in my audition, and that's usually true. Once in a rare while, a show was a good enough fit. There was just like a couple of things that aligned where I was actually contributing in the show to my fullest potential. Most mm-hmm. of the time, I was in like a weird fraught, like, am I good enough, mm-hmm. like, nightmare. Um, uh, and also, too, like, whatever. I wasn't really made for Broadway dancing. I was kind of made for a different kind of dancing, if that at all. Mm-hmm. And the good news is now, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> but... Um, she liked, I, when I was in her audition, I was like, I was I was in the kind of, I, I think a person has to deal with auditioning differently as they go through based on where their psyche is. Mm. So like sometimes I could like watch the whole thing and just like, I was like, who does she like? What does she respond to? What part of myself am I, I going to bring to this situation? These are all things that like dancing can seem like such a stupid, frivolous thing. But like these are skills that can yes. apply to anything, even parenthood, yep. which is a really important job. Um, the most important and you're being raising alive, the humans yeah. of tomorrow and being of use to other people what part of myself am I going to bring to this situation like is, is it available yep. and then of course you're in situations where you're what more there are more large pieces of you to contribute than others like in situations where I was meant to be da- dainty I'd look for a piece and it would barely be there and I would try <laughs> and you lay into the daintiness I'd lay into the the, the cell in my body, the mm. single cell that's actually dainty. So then what was the musical theater introduction? Because at that point, um, it seems like, and you correct me if I'm wrong, once you started doing musical theater, I mean, it was mostly musicals. Then, So I, I hit a really big dry point in LA, a dry spell, probably like a year 
or so. Like, I really literally didn't work. And L.A. was interesting because, A, I wasn't happy there, but I'd made a life there. Yeah. And um, and it's also a place, like, it's, like, summer all the time. Like, you're just kind of, like, I could just, like, wake up. I lived <laughs> on, like, $100 a year, and I would just, like, wake up and go to Jennifer's Coffee and live. In that way, it's kind of nice. Like, and meet yeah. my friends. It was, like, friends, the sitcom, but in it. Like, we just all day long just hang out yeah all the time like and I was in an age where that was totally fine yeah um and then I just thought you know I had a talk with my aunt Joni who has always been like a person who like drops these like little teeny flowers and she like dropped this little flower and she said I said to her and it's so ridiculous because it's not true I was like I was visiting in New York and I said I feel like I'm failing for the first time it's like Mm. for the first time but it became clear. Fuck you for, for the you. first time. Absolutely <laughs> not true. But anyway. And she but it said, obviously felt that way it to It felt you. that way. And yeah. she said, oh, to me, Broadway is winning. You know, And winning was everything to me at that time. She mm. was like, come home. And I was like, it's so funny. Like, even a therapist, like, to be a therapist. My friend John was like, be a therapist. Like, I'm going to be a therapist. I'm going to yes. go to school for six and a half years. Don't, sounds like a blast. I'm in it. Yes. And so, like, because sometimes something is just waiting in there. And someone And somebody drops, it. like, a little, like, thing, mm-hmm. like a flower, like a seed. And there's a garden that's been dying to, you know. Yes, I love that. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So I came home, and uh, and the thing I remember coming up the stairs, I moved back to New York. I was living with my parents. I was 25. Mm. And uh, I was living on Long Island again. <laughs> And um, and I came up the stairs in the city, and I was like, if it takes forever, I'm never, I'm I'm going for, like I'm never leaving here mm-hmm. because I belong here. Mm-hmm. So like I, it was about coming home, like fundamentally, mm-hmm. and and I didn't know really where I would go. I'd not really ever sung. You know, I used to sing a little bit as a kid. Blah blah blah. It was always kind of okay for me. <laughs> yeah. um, and then uh, I went on auditions, and it started to find me. I was a 25-year-old professional non-equity person. I was, and at the time, non-equity people, there were ways, it's like now non-equity is a thriving thing. At the time, it was very different to be uh, right. non-union. You know, now I see non-union people that are like, they're staying non-union for a long time. There's yeah, a lot of non-union work. Yeah, because you can work. work so much regionally, um, which is employment. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's employment. I mean, yeah. there's something. But um, so I started musical theater just started to find me and I did my first musical at a place that's no longer there it was a wonderful experience downtown cabaret theater I made like 200 bucks a week so you were non-union when you did that I was non-union I did two non-union shows I did that both at the downtown cabaret theater and I fell in love I was like I will do this for the rest of my I don't care where like I will do it here at the downtown cabaret theater for the rest of my life Um, I just loved not really the thing about my life in theater was I fell in love with so many things that wasn't the performing. Mm. You know what I, I didn't really always love performing. I find that as well too. I the um I do love certain elements of being on stage so much, but what has been the like love Blue. affair has mm-hmm. been the process, the totally. people, yep, the community and All that, that is like um that is I am addicted to that feeling. I'm addi- I love I, I miss so little and performing was actually such an odd fit for me because I was so conflicted about sharing myself mm-hmm. and I was so unsure about whether or not I was good enough to share like if there was really something in me that I just felt like it, I didn't even now like I obviously well maybe not obviously I have come a long way um, but there's even now there's a part of me that doesn't the pieces of me that are most useful aren't those pieces that I would bring to a stage 
Yes, you know, I absolutely understand so that. I never felt really like the pieces I was sharing was good enough for people because mm. that's not really what I was gifted with. I wasn't really gifted with those things. I was gifted with other things for and for forty four years, just resented every all my goods <laughs> because they were like because I kept like wanting to have goods that I wasn't gifted with, and I had all of these other goods that are like just to me the very lucky. Mm. Everyone has them, mm. you know, and I see all the time. By the way, like people in showbiz, and they get to do it as long as they are working like the growth what I learned about it in school growth growth approach or something hmm. growth approach so if you're working with a growth approach do it waste your life hating yourself in musical theater for 20 <laughs> years and not getting what you want hmm. as long as everything you're doing is for you and for your uh, betterment spiritual betterment not like improving yourself but like knowing things knowing others knowing your, knowing life mm. if you're doing it that way then go ahead and fucking torture yourself yeah. at your EECs whatever those are called <laughs> ECCs ECCs E-E-C-C's. what do I know about show oh I'm obsessed <laughs> <laughs> but that's the best but yeah so and I have no idea what, oh but yes but the community the belonging this thing together like doing this together and like and the the world of it, I loved. I was like in me and my girl, and I was in like an old fashioned like yes. white wig, like standing like on a rickety <laughs> stage. But like the wig was like seventy thousand years old and rented and like yeah. dusty. Dust and I was it. like, this is where I want to be. This yeah. is where I want to be. And again, has nothing to do with performing. Um, and there's so. an intensity too that um, I crave in my life. I find and absolutely theater yes. has that intensity where. Yeah. I, I work at a restaurant part time, and restaurants are the same way. Yeah, I love being it's, a waitress. Yes, it's literally it's social. Um, it's intense. If something doesn't get done, it's like the world's ending. Mm-hmm. I'm like, we all think we're curing cancer, and but people are actually out there curing cancer. Well, God bless them. God bless them. I we're mean, doctors who are saving lives every day. That's people who are like really in Yemen feeding children who need food. <laughs> yeah, these are the real heroes. <laughs> but in the moment, I feel like a Navy SEAL. I'm like. Wearing my armor, and it's I such a you. funny. Um, it's not a waste of time because no, you will, I agree. especially as you get, if you're lucky enough to continue to live, you will hit that part of your life where you're like, now I turn this outward. Mm. And it would be nice if I could have been the kind of person who could have done that the whole time. <laughs> it's just not how it is. I'm an American, I'm a self obsessed <laughs> asshole. And you hit a certain point where you're just like, now I am, now it's for you. I must, like, I must, I have to, like, turn it. Like, you get this. It's young says it. It's not even special. Everyone does it. And if you don't, then that's really people will people who don't have that instinct mm-hmm. to finally be of use to others. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they are they struggle as mm-hmm. they age. You know, yeah. They're facelifts. They're still trying to make it about them, and it's like it's not. That's over. Yeah. You are now. You're fucking ugly now. It's free. <laughs> you're free. You don't have to do that shit anymore. No one's looking at you. Yeah. Sometimes like I walk past people and like oh god oh god they're looking at me. and I'm like no one's looking at you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and my it's nice. time is over. I mean, not like I was so gorgeous, but I I used to be like you know it's so like you're hot you are hot stuff. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but like now I really don't have to worry about anybody wanting That's me. Like so when I'm getting a massage and I get like tense, I'm like he doesn't want you. You're a fat old lady on his table. Stop. <laughs> That's Wait, what were we saying? Oh, but it's just about um your transition useful. back to New York, the too. intensity and but, yeah. yeah and. So at this point, you've done your tune on union jobs, and what are you doing for money? Are you um, working I'm really at side home. jobs? I'm oh, a waitress. That's um, I worked at Shout as a cashier, living at home. So I didn't live there very long. So I moved out and mm-hmm. got a waitressing job at um, Senor Swank. Is my sister and I both worked there. Oh, that's a blast. She was a bartender. I was a waitress. And I love hearing people's survival jobs. Like Ellen DeGeneres talks about selling um, vacuums. <laughs> I'm like, or um, I bet she was, cool. was it Kevin Hart sold sneakers? 
I love it. Yeah. I'm like, I think those, I don't know if we talk about those um, yeah. stories enough. We think people are overnight successes. Someone said that in their, um, they won some award, some movie star. I'm giving a lot of detail. Yeah. Um, I'm and interested. they said, you, you think I'm an overnight success. I'm 40 something years old. Mm-hmm. Do you realize what I've been doing? Absolutely. This whole time to get here. Even when you are successful, like it does, it really doesn't. So yes, and I, I called, I answered phones at Shirley Hurst Associates. The thing that's important about that is even to me, like not how much I had to do that, but who I was when I did it and what I was learning. That's really what. So like some people are yes. going to be successful, but life is waiting for you. Life is yes. waiting for everyone. So it doesn't. So the question is, how am I going to go about what I've been given? So you may have been given all the goods that you wanted. You know, those are not the lucky. They're lucky for a time. But what's going to happen, what happened to me is I got let off at a station having done a lot of learning. Mm. So what happens if everything is easy for you? Now, the good news about a performing career is it's difficult for even the people that were totally made for it. Right. They're learning too. So I don't need yeah. to take anything. They're hardworking lunatics and they're <laughs> learning too. But the things that you get when you, and I know that, Looking at the my resume might not say that I struggled, but I was I did so many flops that I was unemployed. I was in a constant hustle, and yeah. and so and also not really I was a round peg in a square hole. I was not made for dancing. I was definitely not made for theater. I am not gorgeous. So all of these you know all of these I had to, I'm not an actor. Um, all of these things were like square peg round hole things, and because of the, that's the good news because then you get dropped off and you know something. And do you think that's why um, so many choreographers really speak so highly of you and their experience working with you? Do you think that kept people wanting to work with you because you were so different from what people... We talk about like um, being what everyone needs us to be and how to be a good performer, you're malleable so you could just fit where they need you. And I think so much of you does that, however, there is a essence of you and an authenticity that doesn't go away no matter how much fitting you do and I I think choreographers go oh I want some of that I don't know like that's the thing like I don't think anybody knows why they work or don't work and they can try yeah but they don't fucking know there's no equation or formula for why someone has truly nobody knows I honestly don't know I can I can guess yeah um and I think that's true. I think that I did leave my grandfather's funeral early. <laughs> like I said earlier. I think when, you should when, touch on that too, what you were saying about how um, theater is so intense because of what it requires of us. Yeah. That we um, we have to miss so much in other people's lives and our schedules are so insane with it that that's why it feels like live or die desperation. To yeah, you expect it to there. pay you back the way that you've, you know, you, yeah. see, you bow down to this thing, you sacrifice such important things, and then you're like, so surely she is that important. Yeah. She is, for you doing know, it. For do, you know, if I left my grandfather's funeral early um, then to make a matinee, then, um, then it must be that important. And if it is that important, it makes sense that I would, you know, it's like a, a little bit mm-hmm. of a... It's not that it's not important. It's just like you said. It's like, it's more than a job because it's a special job. Like there have been times where I was sitting in a in a theater at a put-in, thinking, I am very lucky that this is my job because right. of the community, because of the the moving in motion for a living, hearing music, being in vibration. Like the guy that did your mashup. Like the the fact that I'm around, you know, uh, people that f- who vibe like that. Like yeah. I was running a rehearsal for Lauren Latar. I work for her. 
Uh, the only show business jobs I do now is if someone wants an old fat person in a movie Stop it right to now. dance, or uh. if Lauren Lataro <laughs> needs me to set a show for her. So I set a couple of shows for her. I was setting a show for her, and somebody started singing James James Taylor, and then somebody joined. Then somebody started playing the guitar. They were musicians. It was a musician show, mm. and somebody started playing, and they just started vibe. And like, I was like. I don't miss show business and I don't really wish that I was always in that room mm. with those people mm-hmm. but the fact that I got to be in a life with the people that want like the people that instinctively collaborate yeah. even though we're the neediest shittiest most selfish <laughs> they're all also the neediest shittiest most selfish people you've ever met too so I don't want to over <laughs> absolutely yeah but like they're the, these collaborators these people that want to like the guy that like sits down and hears three songs and does that like it's so lucky. So yes. it, and it's it, so it's more than a job. It's just, but it's also not solving what you're looking to solve. And that's mm-hmm. I think your point always is like yeah. basically, you know, what I realized toward the end of my career was that I have, and we all have. This is just part of being a human being. We all have a cut, and being successful in musical, every show I would take a band aid and put it on a piece of furniture next to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> And the cut never fucking went anywhere. <laughs> yeah. And I was just as exposed as ever. And I'd get a show and I'd keep putting a band-aid on something nearby. And it's like, that's what that's where show business fails. It's yeah. just not doing the thing you're looking for it to do. Right. And the problem with people that are on social media and sort of like, they keep putting like, there's this girl who's gorgeous and she puts pictures of herself. And I like looking at her. She's so beautiful to look at. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's like looking at like art. And every time she gets 400 likes... That band-aid goes on a piece of furniture. You know, you're just scratching that. You're like, you keep scratching this itch that's not going to go away. And the, yeah. the problem with social media is it will keep. And whenever I use it, I say that to myself. I'm like, you can do this, sure. but you must know that if you're just, you need to be seen, and that's yeah. okay. Yeah. But you must know that there needs to be like genuine work that needs to be done for you because this isn't really. This is sort of like saying to the, the piece of you that needs to be known. Yeah. Hold on a second. I'm going over here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I think then you have these. Um, alter egos and you have actually more than one relationship with each person i have the relationship with the online version of you yeah that influences the relationship i have with the real you Mm -hmm. and thankfully if you're my example the two actually coincide very nicely yes yeah that's not the case for a lot of people so then you see those people in person who that should be what you experience with them. The real, the tangible experience. You're like, which inner child is showing up yes, on social media? Totally. I know who mine is. Yes. Like, which inner child? So some yes. people, I have like, I know people that are like, like, just torturous on social, like, torturous. Mm-hmm. And I, I will say to my husband, like, if you met them, you would love them. That's right. That's little so and so on right. there, and little so and so struggles. Yeah, just in trying. This particular way. You call it a daddy-sized hole, yeah. and I think that is hole. every time I I'm struggle. Hilarious. I, you really are. You say things, and I'm like, I just, I would have thought that, and yeah. you actually say it. Mine it's like daddy-sized. Oh. I don't know if yours is mommy-sized or it's whatever. It's all different, yeah. but like the daddy-sized hole represents whatever the hole whatever is. Whatever your hole is, and yes. Uh, for example, I think of like when someone dies and there's a social media, especially if it's a um, a director or choreographer or whoever. Death brags. Oh, and we just want to claim our success through their death. It's like, here's a photo of me in a gold bikini yeah, totally. standing with the director who died. Or what to about say, like when rent was on TV? And, it's like, and like somebody like worked with somebody who yeah. said the word rent once. Here's a picture of me in a G-string. In honor of live in rent. In honor live. of live rent. And I'm like, I'm already, you know, to use. But, like, 
same with social media. It's like you posted a picture of yourself that did you, you know, in a gold bikini when somebody <laughs> died. And like initially, like if I just don't want to think about it, I will hate you. And that's 99% of the time what I do. Yeah. And then if you stop and think about it and you go, okay, wait a second, let's just, what's going on here? Right. You know? But is that really, I think, absolutely. When you dissect it, everyone does something for a reason. And we're yeah. all searching for some sort of understanding and belonging. Yeah. I find that when I'm in the midst of it, I'm not trying to dissect why you're doing what you're doing and responding to what's in front of me. But yes, you're absolutely right. And I think that it has made me slow down. I've never been a huge social media person because it hasn't been very authentic in my life. I struggle with finding how it works for me. Yeah, which inner uh, child you want to Which inner child exploit. I feel like needs it the most. Ignore. Yeah, exactly. Um, so just because I feel that way doesn't mean everybody else has to feel that way. But the bullshit meter for me is just much um, lower because I already don't have a ton of space for it in my own life. So then when I see something, it's I'm already reading all of it. I'm yeah, it's, interpreting it. It's unjust. Like when a person does that, they are being. Excuse me, I broke twice in your interview. Oh, it does ungenerous. Not so they are. They're like. Um, you can either connect or not connect. And so if you say. Even when somebody somebody once posted, like, this happened to me, I'm so excited. There's a way of sharing stuff, if you want to do that, like, that allows people to join. Yes. And genuinely join. Because I have not, I don't care about uh, show business. So it doesn't really, like, I still can't join with people who are doing the thing that you're talking about. They're not leaving you anywhere. There's no place to join them. It's not connective. And social media is a way to connect. You could. There is a way to find that. I don't know how. Um, I don't know if it's super possible, but there's I don't know a that vessel. people should really be. I think that if I always thought if you're lucky enough to have a job, be kind. If you're lucky enough to be quote unquote winning, why don't you like why aren't you like when good things happened to me, I was always like, that's enough. Mm. So now be kind and think about the people that might be struggling today. Think yeah. about the fact that like, you know, I take down posts all the time because mm. I'm like, maybe this is not generous. Like, mm. uh, and I probably mess it up all the time. But like, it should be a part of people's process. I think yeah. we should probably take care of it. And maybe the reason you're so offended and you sh- everyone is so offended is that we don't live in a culture anymore that thinks about taking care of, and I should be the last to talk because I'm so self-obsessed. <laughs> but I will say that something about being older, you know, and ha- coming from a different generation, like, I think bragging about yourself is harmful to others. Right. And it's harmful to yourself. Yeah. So take care of others. So like maybe somebody's having a rough day and you being like, you guys! <laughs> like, I don't know. Is it so hard? Like celebrate yeah. with the people who love you. And what are you what are you searching for? I think it's important. I have I can absolutely take ownership for posting certain jobs and the excitement that I had posting it excitement and how gross it felt though after. Because there was that feeling of what was my goal. Yeah. Because the experience itself was enough. Doing the job, doing, having something that fulfilled me and expanded me as a person and an artist was actually enough. Posting it was not for me. It's a little exciting. I mean, I have to say though, it's like so okay, that's okay. But um, I don't think anyone has like when I, something big happened to me and people are like, are you going to post it? And I was like, I if you put a gun in my mouth, and I'm not saying I don't want everyone else to post it, because I do, <laughs> but you would have to put a gun in my mouth to get me to fucking do that. Yeah. I just, there's something like in the culture that I grew up in, also a terrible culture, where Generation X were the worst people <laughs> living today. But like, I do think, like, 
to brag about yourself is just going yeah. to a place that is so beneath you, in my opinion. It's like, let other people do it for you. Right. And if they don't, then it didn't happen. And what is it, um, success is quiet? Success should be quiet. Yeah. Be, be generous. Like, if you're lucky enough to be lucky, yeah. then be kind. Like, yeah. consider the first, like, if it, I can see being on, gen- and that's something that's, we can say, like, if, if, I can see being ungenerous if mm. it has been hard. Right. You know what I mean? And right. like you're just trying to, it's important. You know, and also too, I'm talking about a culture I barely understand because young people, I don't even really know what's going on anymore for them. I don't right. know really what's going on in their heads. I grew right. up at a different time and they're better than me in many ways and worse than me in many ways. And by worse, right. I just mean they, they've learned some things that are not going to serve them. Just yeah. like my generation, we right. become more and more selfish and it just makes for less and less happiness yeah. for everybody. I think it is still looking for that sense of happiness. I think social media is just another way to try to fill whatever is missing in that moment. And it can look really gross and ugly in a bragging way, or it can be really authentic and honest because that part of you is full. Um, And we're watching people navigate it in real time, which I think is so fascinating. We are. And we just get, we just, the thing is is that we crave real community. We crave real, it's like if you can have it in it, like social media, I'm on social media a decent amount for a grown woman with children, but (laughs) it doesn't bother me because I kind of know what it is. And I know when I'm doing something, I'm like, this is just you like wanting people to say your baby's cute. You need that. Just know yourself. Sure, sure. And know that people are screen shooting it and making fun of you yes. and you have to be okay with that. And I, I think it is of the utmost importance to bring that into this conversation and this yeah, podcast always. because yeah. I think it has become so prevalent in what we do especially um, where yeah. it's not about posting photos with your friends at a bar anymore. It's about yeah. um, it's about figuring out how it can serve you in your career. Yeah. So then we really don't have safe places as just human beings anymore. Well, I feel like that's harmful to the poster as well. Absolutely. I feel like nobody knows, like nobody has, and I always say, and I would say it again, even in today's world, and they make me a dinosaur, <laughs> it's not worth it. Yeah. So like if you feel like you have to do that in social media, in a, like you have to have a place where you are doing something that's not about right. promoting. There's less and less space for stars. Like, mm-hmm. I looked at Justin Bieber, like, having to post about eating french fries. I was like, poor fucking thing. Doesn't, yeah. can't, doesn't even know that he's allowed to have french fries by himself. You know what I mean? Like, And that kind of goes for everybody. Like, yeah. people, we are we become addicted. There's an addict. It's social, and we are social creatures. So it, And we're... We're all gaping holes, everybody, except for David Hyde Pierce. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's the only person who's not. Oh my gosh. And, um, That's great to know. I think we may have just uh, cracked the code well, on we, social we media. the course. Yes. There's not much else to say other than I hope that young people can find a way to have some space for themselves where they are not yeah. putting things out there. Everything is right. out there. And myself too. Sometimes I'm just like, oh, this feels unhealthy. I got to... Just gotta monitor yourself, yeah. Yeah, I think that's so important. I would love for you to talk about maybe two contrasting experiences for you. A job or an experience that was so fulfilling that made you feel most expansive versus maybe an experience that you thought would be that way that fell short. Well, they all felt like they are. I I wrote, I took a memoir class um, 
in um, because of course my life story is so interesting and I needs to be written about. I really would love to yeah. read your life. You story. really wouldn't. It's so excruciating. <laughs> I just handed it into my teacher, and I literally feel bad for him that he has to read it. <laughs> Did you so, touch on this in your memoir? What was I even saying I about your um, most expansive? Oh, I was like a dysfunction. I, I have a friend that's like every boyfriend. She thinks this is gonna be different. This is gonna <laughs> do the thing that she's been waiting for her whole life. Mm. Every show was like that for me. Interesting. Every show, even. Well, less so Tuck, because I was already graduated when I did Tuck. I was, like, walking around with a mic on and a beat, a show beat, and it was fully retired in my mind. And, you know, and I guess I guess I still, there was a little piece of me was like, this time I'm going to deliver what I know it's hot. I even, like, I had a way lower expectation. I was just like an old lady hopping around in a nightgown. But I still think that there was, like, a little piece of was hoping that I could finally give people what I'd hoped always to be giving to them. Mm. You know what I mean? To finally be giving something instead of looking to take something. And ultimately, the truth is, it's still just a show. They're right. all just shows, like you're always saying. So um, it they was a nicer jobs. experience for sure and like way less fraught. But um, it just, at the end of the day, it's like it just can't be anything other than what it is. Mm. So anyway, they were all something that I wanted them to be that they never could be. Mm. So that's all of them. Closest thing I came to really the experience I dreamt of when I was a little girl, like, and I would dream about like giving something mm. was moving out, um, because my life was falling apart, uh, like in real life. You know, I'd created a mess, <laughs> if you will, and um, and I was suffering. So one of the things um, throughout my career was. Um, I was wired for suffering, mm. and as long as I was suffering, somewhere, I had my quota filled, so I was suffering, and so, and also moving out was just like, I, I did not have musicals in my iPod or at home listening to tapes or records. Sure. I was not that kid, and so really, I didn't want to dance so much. I mean, I loved it, but it wasn't, like, when I heard Billy Joel fucking yeah. music playing, like, that, I'm a 49-year-old woman from Long Island. Like, I, <laughs> every bit of me wants that music. Yeah. And so, the music, Twyla Tharp, like, how fucking hard it was. That had to be so was. unique. It was so unique. I was so, and I was so never going to be the best one. So, I always wanted to be the best one, as ridiculous as that is. Um, <laughs> In and that kind of I was setting. never going to be even close. And what was mm. such a pleasure was just if I kept up, I was happy. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to be near them. I wanted to be a part of it. Um, I wanted to do the best I could. It was like the healthiest kind of, um, definitely connected to an unhealthy part because I was addicted to the suffering. But um, <laughs> but I, uh, I just wanted, and I was present sometimes. I was never present. I was always trying to fill always trying to be the best one. That is mm. just so unbelievably miserable. Yeah. And so... In the midst of, also for Twyla, like I was a little bit, even though I was the worst dancer in the show, and I was, and that's okay. It doesn't matter because I have everything I need. But yeah. so, like, I was the worst one in the show, but I was a closer fit to Twyla than I was to most theater. Mm. Uh, there's an earthiness to her movement, yes. and my earthiness was so ill suited to, mm. to theater generally. Mm. And um, I'm an earthy, unfeminine mess of a human being. And so it sort of was better suited. Twyla has a room. She has space, and she's curious about things that don't fit. Yeah. Messiness. Yes. And you know, she, somebody once said, "So was it supposed to be ugly?" And she said, "I don't like the word ugly. It's different." 
Because that's insinuating that there's a version of that's right and wrong. Pretty, yeah. yeah. And she's not interested. She, you know, she's a genius, and so, um, uh, not that other people weren't that I worked with, but I sure. guess I was just a closer fit to that. So there was also an organicness to my movement, and it was just such an endless challenge in a way that I was able to continue to explore. Mm-hmm. Like Fosse was such a difficult fit for me because I was. That it was just too far away from everything I was. And it's like your index finger has a spot. It's you not know? who I am. Yeah. I'm not a de- it's detail-oriented work, and it's about gorgeous shapes. My body doesn't make gorgeous shapes. Mm. You know, and it's I'm the most interesting, and even still, just only so interesting when I'm in motion. Mm. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. not interesting standing around, and I'm not interesting... You know, and I'm not sexy like that. I'm, I'm sexiest when I'm being a boy girl running through space, making a big fat mess. Absolutely. So she came close. That, so for that reason, um, and, I just, and I just loved, I felt so lost. I remember being lifted in this, and this never happened for me when I was in show business. Like, I have a lot of moments where I was just right there. Mm. Like, right there. Like, lit, saw the lights. I was being in this, I was in this big, beautiful lift with this guy, Philip Gardner, mm. this beautiful ballet dancer who was very kind to me. Because um, I was not as trained as he was, mm. um, and I just like was there for the bow. I was there. I was just there. I was there when I came out in the finale. And she creates work very consciously in a way that puts you in the moment mm. on purpose. She knows how to do that. So uh, that was largely due to how she worked and all the other things I said. So that was kind of like a, I love that. Yeah, and I'm curious too. Um, your experience doing Fosse, you said, was not that way, right? And I think it's important because I think we're in an interesting period of time where I thrive under, um, I don't want to say harsh criticism because I can talk about a story that happened um, in college where it was the harshest, most emotionally breaking experience of my career. Mm-hmm. And that didn't work. Mm-hmm. That it did fuel me and yeah. I responded well to it. Yeah. However, it was not the way to do it. Yeah. But I also think maybe we're getting a little too dainty about what criticism we're willing to accept oh, right now. Where started. Where don't say that to me or this way to say it or kindness or whatever it it's is. the pendulum it. swinging because we've gone exactly. from like abusiveness being okay. Yes. To the pendulum swinging to like, um, I actually think there's no room for abuse at all, period. I guess, I guess the question is, you know, I was reading for a moment a book about like what is like the fragility of our culture now mm-hmm. and um, and how it's not serving us. So if it's not serving us, it should be looked at because kids are having like nervous breakdowns in college right. and people are experiencing this book talks about how it's called, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but um, how, like what is trauma? Mm-hmm. What is abuse? Like, so now we're finally giving like due to things that were dismissed mm-hmm. Except that we, the pendulum has swung to the point that it's still not serving us. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, and I think that's interesting because, you know, people talk a lot about their experiences with Fosse or Jerome Robbins where maybe it teetered on the I, abusive element because at that point in time, that was the norm. And I yeah. think um, depending on who you work with right now, you have people who came from that era yeah, who come from the new era and then people who meet in the middle. So yeah. I'd be curious to know... Um, your experience now having done things that were creatively um, collaborative yeah. and uh, empowering as a performer versus maybe things that didn't do that for you and how you bring that into being on the other side now for certain projects. Um, I am still finding myself on the other side of other projects. Um, 
and uh, which is useful to me as a parent and mm-hmm. as everything I do. So Absolutely. like it's still useful. Like I don't plan on uh, being on the other side in show business, but right. it's still really you. Like I learned so much. Like it's crazy. Uh, just like anything, like that, whatever that is, growth perspective, whatever it's called, which I recommend for everybody doing everything, because then everything is for you, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to getting the thing or not getting the thing. It's all of use. Right. But um, so for Fosse, it wasn't really it. The atmosphere, you know, I, the atmosphere wasn't the problem. Okay. I my relationship to myself was the problem. Mm. It was a dysfunctional atmosphere for like five million reasons, and like you know, it was we were nuts. I mean, yeah. this thing had come to the world that the people wanted more than like if you'd asked me at the time like. So if you get this, like you're gonna lose an arm when you're 50, I'd be like, take the fucking arm and I'll <laughs> so give you a toe. Yeah. And like really no question about it. Like right. you know, like hurt I would someone kill else, to please go do. Back and see it or be a fly on the wall for the well, whole thing. I hated the experience and I was <laughs> fucking horrible. And you would have given me. your arm. And I would have given my arm. And also too, like it really was useful. But again, it was useful because personally, you know, my demons were so present. That was mm-hmm. the place where my demons were the most present and where I was forced into psychotherapy. Sported. And I was able to um, begin the process of mm-hmm. knowing myself well enough to sort of over time, year after year, minute after minute, disengage from self-obsession. Yeah. <laughs> That's the value. That's the value. If anyone thinks therapy is indulgent, the, the good news is that, yes, it is. Um, and it eventually, eventually, when you get yourself out of your vision, you know, mm-hmm. you actually start to see the world. You start mm-hmm. to see other people. And, you you know, so it's actually, so Fossey was the first place um, and uh, and in terms of being hard on people and people being tough, um, it just depends. I mean, I think being hard on somebody is different than being emotionally hard on them. So right. I think it's important. Like, I am all for Like, when people come up to me, like, I'm, like, really tired. I'm, like, I don't fuck. Even my son, I'm, like, man up. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, like, I am, like, I am such a pussy mom. Like, I am, like, my, my I am really nurturing and, right. like, patient on, like, all the new things that everyone hates. But when it comes to like, I'm tired, um, or you know, my son's like my leg hurts. I'm like, you're going to school. Yeah, you know, whatever. Um, and my parents were that way. Um, where they, they were so wonderful dealing with all of my different isms as a child. But I didn't go to school one Monday for like seven years. I skipped school every really? Monday. My dad called it the Monday blues. I would get anxiety, and I just want to sit at home and watch cats. I mean, there's nothing really wrong with that. Yeah, I mean, look how it turned out. I'm okay. Yeah, it came out really hard. I mean, I've thank never you. worked with a harder working, more conscientious oh, person. Thank you. So um, that's it's proof. But that my that. dad also, there it was not a petting yeah. your way through something. And even so now, if I'm looking for, I tell him this. If I'm looking for empathy, yeah, or I'm looking for someone to say, "Hey, I'm sorry, it's so hard." I will not call my father. <laughs> and if I'm looking for a swift kick in the ass or yeah. someone to give me all the reasons why I should blaze forward, you call Alex Bigelow. Yeah, my mom will be both of those things a little bit more, but I think that's why I there is no sense of tired because everyone's fucking tired. There's something to be said that old school. There is definitely something to be said. I don't, nobody knows really. Yeah. It's really just, you know, culture, what I'm learning too in school, now that I'm 800 and I'm going to school, (laughs) is like beliefs and like what's real is just culture. Right. So I don't really, there's no real answer to what's best. I think that what you can look at is in terms of what's happening now and what's working for people. Right. Is that um, it seems that if we 
agree that people are fragile, they'll be fragile. Mm-hmm. So I think that I think that I I don't believe at all in um, uh, being unkind. And there, you know, I recently worked on something where I like had to be like, "You're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> You're just doing it. You're doing it, you big baby. You're yeah. doing it." And I won't be mean about it, but you will do it. I also think that's a respect level, though, because that's um, demanding excellence from the people that you have chosen to have in that space. Yeah. And I can think of this time in my life that was really rough, and how the whole experience was about insulting my name, insulting what I was wearing, insulting my headshot. It was not about my talent in the room because the whole point was to break me down enough so he could do whatever he wanted and to have an outcome. That is such bull. Which is not a creative experience. Because he was wounded. He was not unkind because he was a genius. And you can separate out. I talked to one of his muses. Mm. I danced for him once. He was so glorious. I mean, he was just a glorious choreographer, glorious mind, um, and I said, was he, were you brilliant for him because he was cruel or in spite of his cruelty? And he said, in spite of it. Interesting. You can demand excellence from people. To not be afraid of hurting people's feelings yes. is different than being cruel. So I, I think that the sort of weird benefit of being Mm-hmm. To not give a shit about whether someone likes you, to not give a shit about if it hurts their feelings, to be, there's something to be said for that. I mean, there's some, I can see how that can get you out of your own way and getting the best out of people. Right. But his cruelty, I mean, and I've never worked for him. And so I'll bet you, like, if anyone ever hears this that worked for him, probably thinks I'm completely wrong. And that's fair. Because but I'm guessing. But each person's experience, the guy who I had such a ne- negative experience with works at a university. And I have some students who have told me he has been nothing but incredible to them. Yeah, and that's not to say He might that not have pushed his buttons, though. Yeah. Absolutely. My utter presence made this person want to do it. I've been I that person. I opened my mouth. Yeah. I was simply Justin's face, and it was five days of... That's just a personality. Giving, right. Giving, indulging their own instincts, and I think that that's... There is... I think that's unacceptable. I really do. And honestly, even if it gets greatness out of you creatively, it's not fucking worth it. It's not worth it. it. It's and not I found it. that yeah. to be the case, too, especially um, having... It be a man mm-hmm. in that space, um, and I've had many of different female creatives who, you being one of them, who wants a certain, um, has an expectation that you will do anything to me because making that person proud of your That's work is tried. so worth it. And the idea, what I was trying to get around to, that. Um, that breaking somebody down to build them up is just a bunch of garbage. I just don't think that's their ego. Real. That's someone wanting to um, fill whatever daddy size hole they have yeah. in their hearts and whatever joy they get out of being the one to it's fix something power. they've decided that you have. It's about power. It's yep. psychological and it's about them. And it's not about the work. Right. It's just not. And I don't accept that it is. And if it is, it's not worth it. And whoever is on the receiving end of that, it's not worth it. Yeah. And that's like something that I would look back on and be like, you know, when somebody... Although, you know, if you're in the learning mode, mm-hmm. you know, I learned a lot. I mean, I've had people, like Frank Hatchett was so brutal to me. when It was like one of my first jobs, and he was, it's unconscionable. I was 18 years old. Mm. Um, unconscionable is actually reserved for things like Yemen, so I take that back. <laughs> but, like, it was just, it was so <laughs> yucky. And, um, but I, I... I guess I the, there was value to some degree in my uh, somebody might say and I actually somebody there's value in somebody saying I don't I will either you're gonna change the way you deal with me or because it was abuse you know what I mean yeah. it was just like 
he got off on seeing how far he could go to hurt me. Right. You know? And so somebody might say, you know what, I don't, uh, you will either stop doing that or I quit and you're going to have to replace me. So, so that's, that's growth. Or what I did, because I was kind of wired for trying to win him, yes. uh, I figured out how to dance through being dizzy with mm. suffering, you know, like first world suffering. But also as a woman, um, and we'll segue into this, as a woman at that point in time, I think now because there is a, the pendulum is swinging, I think we do have, for the first time, this bravery to say that whether it loses us a job or anything, it's worth it finally. Yeah. Because at one point, we were taken, we still are taken advantage of in so many ways, but I think it was knowing that no one was going to get caught mm-hmm. in something like that at one point in time. And I think now it's going to be very interesting to see how accountability shows up because for the first time, People are going to be maybe called out for behavior that they thought was okay, that they will blame on the times. And it wasn't the times, it was just what we felt like we were allowed to call out. And now Mm. I would lose 20 jobs to be the one in the room who stands up and says something about it. That is, like, I'm thinking now as you're talking about a speech once that was given not very long ago by a director who said, and it made me miserable, this speech. <laughs> and, like, he could never give that speech now. And it just, it's so mm. long. He said, it's actually not, like, it's very minor. But sure. I, so all he said was, he was like, he talked about all the talent. Like, he was like, here's why we gathered you. This elite group of people. And typical, it was just like, here's the men. Here's the skills we expect from the men. Mm. And the women are gorgeous. They are the, t- they are the, these are the most gorgeous women that you can, and it kept me about how gorgeous we were. Mm. So, okay, like, whatever. I understand that show business is a business about being, I know when I watch something, I'm like, wow, you're not that good to look at. And I'm like a little disappointed. <laughs> so I get it. Cause like when we are visual creatures. So like when you are sure. having to look at something, it's absolutely like, if you're going to be in show business, you are putting on the dotted line that what you look like is a part of the equation and you do mm-hmm. not get to whine about it. It's just, mm. Sorry, that's what you've agreed to do. And if you don't like it, then just pick another career that has more fucking dignity in it. Because <laughs> that this is what it is. So I'm not like being like a, like too fragile. Right. But, I, but but at the same time, it's like that was insulting because yeah, because we were all highly skilled. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is it's anxiety producing because the first thing I was thinking was how how do I do gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Like, how do I execute that on a daily basis? Like, you just, as soon as, like, then you're just power, like, if I'm right. not gorgeous, then I'm anxious all mm-hmm. day long because that's what I'm here for. And what I, you know, and so it just sort of, like, set the stage. It was just, like, really, um, and he could never do that. I don't think he could give that speech now. No, and I, uh, I'm curious. I think right now, too, I think, obviously, a lot of shows were written from the perspective of a man. Oh, yeah. Um, so, which led to women being glorified objects, yeah. which you touch on. Um, a bit when you talk about um, a life in theater as a female in the ensemble. And I think I'm desperately waiting for women to take over the creative side of things more often. And it seems like it is a major fucking uphill climb for these women to get the opportunity to be a part of mega musicals and highly commercialized musicals. Um, And I'm curious about your thoughts on if you think that will give different perspectives of the way women move, the way women look, and the, what we what we should be um, 
perceived as because it's been one way for a really long time. It's not only been one way for a really long time, but like the whole time I was in theater, it's the most unbelievably antiquated, one-dimensional, narrow concept <laughs> of what a woman is. It's like it's not even like narrow for now. Na- it's like narrow for a hundred years ago, and Absolutely. and that was always like a weird struggle for me. Like I was like one million percent in for trying I was like how can I be the right like the, the right woman yeah um and I was so game for trying but like really at the end of the day it was like such a weird fit it was so kind really of like my friends to hire me because it was really not a good idea <laughs> but you serve um such a greater purpose and that's not to say um that somebody who feels comfortable in that world and that's authentic to them that that's not some powerful people, it genuinely is absolutely yeah. and I most of my shows have been in a gold bikini or have been doing something. And there's a part of that I really do enjoy, that there is a femininity that I do have. I can see it. But then there's also um, that I'm a little dirtier, a little, like, um, grittier than I'm able to be at this point. And you brought that in a time, I think, where most women didn't. So I think that purpose is so much greater, and that's why so many people were interested in having your energy in their space. Maybe. I mean, I think that it's attractive in the audition room because I could fully own it. Yeah. But then once you put me in a show in the same wig as all the people that are really natural, for like natural choices, and this is again, it's like really important not to shame people for whom that is mm. organic. Right. The idea when you talk about what's, what difference will it make when women come into, the, into leadership and start mm. writing and choreographing genuinely from not mimicking men's ideas, right. but like really genuinely being curious about like, what a woman is to them, like, and what people are to them. Um, I think what will change is like we talked about it before we turned on the tape. Like, I think pe- when when I have worked with certain women, um, I think that women understand that there's like a wide variety. It's like what like a person of color is considered to be like one thing. Like, there's right. so many ways to be Absolutely. a human being. There's so many ways to be a woman. So um, when people who aren't the thing write or choreograph about the thing. There's just only so much they can know. They have a limited concept, like because they're just thinking this is the mm-hmm. this is what a woman is, as opposed to this is what a person is, right? Who also has a vagina, <laughs> yeah. And and so <laughs> anyway, I think I think we'll find it's just like watching Diane Paulus cast a show. Like if you think they would have hired Rachel Bay Jones, who was a freaking revelation in Pippin, mm-hmm. if you think a man was going to do that, she was a little bit older. You know, mm-hmm. and, and really an unconventional choice. That's typically a very particular kind of ingenue. Right. Just think that I don't think that a, uh, a man would have hired her. Right. And she was the okay. reason. I mean, there was so many reasons to see that show. But for me, she was uh, amongst the main reasons to see it. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think women just have a broader idea of what we bring. Right. And, I agree. Yeah. So and it's going to be really incredible to watch hopefully this um, overtaking of more opportunities. I don't think it will happen overnight and I find that to be frustrating. However, um, it's going to make a huge difference in a lot of things because we're like stuck in this storytelling mode right now and I get revival sell. Um, You have to question how progressive a revival can be in the storytelling. Um, and I think we're trying to write a lot of new shows from young perspectives, which is an interesting thing. And I'm really curious to see who will have the balls to tell a story from a female's perspective that's slightly off. And I just saw Hadestown and I felt like that was so, so magnificent in so many ways. Oh, it did so much for me, but 
the women were not cookie cutter in any capacity. Right. I mean, all you have to do is lead. Like, the second Lamb and I, like, I, I actually did not have a lot of talent for choreography, but I'm still, like, using the things that I, I learned, and one of the most important things I learned about was leadership, mm. and how Lamb and I really struggled to lead as women, mm-hmm. because I think a lot of the time people interpret, and of course we were finding our footing, and by the end we were sure. better at it, but but I think that people interpret the way women lead as weak or not really leading. And I, I really believe that that's not true. I think that right. when women lead, they're going to bring a perspective and a way of leading. Like I almost think like, like I remember watching a long time ago, Palestinian Israeli women, a, a, a peace group, and Palestinian and Israeli men. So men and women do innately, in my opinion. This could be me being a dinosaur. I think we have different strengths, generally. I'm generalizing. And different propensities, even just raising a boy. Like, I'm like this liberal, you know, whatever. And my son is just like guns and murder and whatever. (laughs) And it's like I look at his masculinity. My sister calls it, like, because I was worried about having a... Because I have a daddy-sized hole. I was worried about having a boy. I was afraid I was going to, like, project... Mm. I do project my issues all over him, just not those ones at this point. Um, And I was just like, ooh, I'm so worried. Like, I have so much anger toward men. She was like, when you see his masculinity, it's pure form. It's not going to push your buttons. Interesting. And, and it's, she was dead right about it. I mm. love his masculinity. And it is pure. Mm. And masculinity is only a problem when it goes wrong, like when it's imbalanced, like when, it's, like, uh, right. when, it's, uh, when there are other ingredients that mix with it to make it a problem. And um, it's a beautiful, perfect thing mm. in, its, in its purest form. And so raising a boy and raising a girl, my, I mean, it could be my boy and my girl, but also being around lots of kids, it's like no, there's like a definitive, like real difference between us. Yeah. And the problem isn't that they like, men are not a problem. Yeah. The problem is is that there's just a really really huge imbalance between pow- like who has power. And it's like when women can kind of like bring their their style to the mm. to to balance with the men. I just feel like we're crazy not to do it. It's Absolutely. so beneficial. So I was watching the men and the women in, in peacemaking. Women, I'm sorry, like we are just we have a propensity. For yeah. connecting in a way, our vision of leadership and our vision of power is biologically, in my opinion, generally different than men's. Right. I, like when I was in a shows that had lots of downtime, I'd read books about like apes and science and stuff. And like mm. they're in, in in nature, there there are these apes called bonobos and women lead. Obsessed. Ellen obsessed DeGeneres with, is obsessed. They're, as and well. they're like horny and gross. And actually, the sexual. I'm such a prude that the sexual part of them, like, I'm like gagging. <laughs> Looking at pictures of like two apes rubbing vulvas. <laughs> like, uh. But so that part of them is like a little hard for me because I'm a natural prude. But I will say, like, oh. they lead, women lead by innately. And I have found when I was in the Twilight show, I was the only woman mm. in the ensemble. We glean, we gain power. Through solidarity, mm. the, and in ape groups that have women that lead. So in, in bonobos, women are the leaders, and the most the powerful ape is a woman who is the best sharer, the best soother, the one who can the most conciliatory. So we have a different vision of, and we have a different path generally to path. Like that is such a what an enormous loss for mankind that that's yes. not sharing a stage. We don't want to like. We need men, and we need what they bring. It's just yes. that they have too much of the floor. Yes. So it's like, so what I think is going to happen in general, and I do, being old, I really do see progress. Um, mm. Like, even just the fact that, like, Martha Plimpton is playing Hamlet in London, and that this yes. lady is playing King Lear. Like, Hamilton has done a lot to shit, and I've sure. always known this. Like, don't tell me that you can't hire people of color in a piece that takes place in the 30s 
you racist. Yeah. Because people are, <laughs> you go to see Hamilton and people embody the human being by embodying the human being. Absolutely. And you're just an asshole racist if you think that they're, the skin tone has anything to do with the, any, I mean, obviously race does have, I mean, race is very meaningful and has a lot Absolutely. of impact in, in life. Absolutely. But if you're telling a story, if you think skin color tells a story, then you're just an asshole and we're waiting for you to die. <laughs> I think that was so perfectly said. Everything that was so well spoken. So thank, thank you for you. sharing that. I'm so high. I'm happy right now. So we're both gonna hear this. It's like we're gonna hear this. And be like ew. We okay, were we so got a race schedule. <laughs> um, so I'd love for you before we go into our final rapid fire questions that I'm asking everybody on this show. I would love for you to share what you're doing now and that transition to deciding that you were going to do something else. So I so I graduated dance and then I had a baby and I never wanted to do anything again except be with my baby. So that's first of all. And all my friends think that's annoying and fuck them all. Yeah, we hate them. Everybody hates me for it, but honestly it was just like, you know, um, I was so grateful not to be a dancer anymore. Mm. And I was so grateful not to be struggling in the way that I had been struggling. And I know that sounds really rude but the, and like privileged and obnoxious, but it's just how I felt. Yeah. You know, I, instead of feeling all the things I would never have again, mm. I felt everything I never had to do again. Mm. And that felt amazing to me. I was like, you know, no more. So I was like really like on this, what I would call like a pink cloud, and I didn't really want anything else. Mm. And then I thought, well... My family needs money, and I could choreograph, and I just wasn't ready to be separate from it. Yeah. So I tried it, and I learned a ton, and I always knew that it wasn't really a great fit for me. I literally have no talent for it, which I knew always. I was like, maybe that's not a problem. Yeah, totally. Let's see how it goes. Let's see how it goes. Yeah. Um, and then I finally, like, I remember I was sitting in my son's room on his chair, and I was like, from a deep place, I was like, I don't want to choreograph. Like, I don't want to. Yeah. Like, I don't want to, like, from your guts. So that, that became clear. And then I was sitting across from my friend, John Carroll, who was pursuing being a psychotherapist. And he was like, be a therapist. And I was like, it was again, like that garden had always been there. Yeah. And he dropped a seed in and it bloomed in that moment. And I was like, this is absolutely uh, what I'm going to do. And so I had to start from the beginning because I never went to school. I had not one credit because when I went to Nassau Community, of course, I failed because that's what I do <laughs> and in school. No, no. So I, uh, I had to start from the beginning. And mm. I just, I called this guy, Mark Baird, who, who was a, I knew I could get dance credit. Uh, mm. I got a year of credit for having been a professional dancer toward a degree in arts, which I did not want because I don't care about art. But still. In that way, like I'm not interested in, I'm having the pendulum swing, so I'm right. like really dying to explore art. Um, even though I'll always be a dancer and an artist. But it's been uh, quite a few years of being engulfed in that world. So quite you were just years. needing I was more, more. curious about like, the next step. Like, yes. I just took a 100%. psychology course. And I'm just more curious about that. And my dancer is... I still call myself a dancer um, like in the deepest way that yes. never has to... Like, it, but no, but like if someone's like, are you a dancer? I'm like, fuck no, I'm not a fucking dancer. And fuck you for uttering those words. <laughs> yeah. And then there's also a part of me that's like always believes that I'm, I'm always going to be a dancer the way I was a dancer when I was 12. And the mm. way there are people out there that are dancers who never danced on a stage, you mm -hmm. know, like, or a Broadway stage or a regional stage or community. You are, you aren't. And that's, mm -hmm. you decide because yeah. nobody takes that away from a person. So anyway, um, I uh, got a degree. I'm getting a degree. I'm finishing it up uh, this summer. A bachelor's degree in fine arts. I have loved my experience at the LEAP program. Amazing. Um, I have learned so much. 
uh, and uh, and I got into a master's program at Mercy College for marriage and family therapy, and I want to be a uh, therapist. So incredible. Yeah, and particularly for people, I'm very because the community is the goal. Like finding my tribe was the yes. healing. Um, that that's the piece I would like to, and if you know what too, like as I went through my process of. Uh, letting dance go I remember going to therapy once and saying to my therapist I had just done pre-production with Casey for talk and it was such a like that's always the like the purest most organic experience of it because I'm not like trying to be the best one right I'm just in the room with the movement and the creativity and it's like I'm not trying to please anybody I just want to like be near be a part of it Mm -hmm. um and I went to my therapist and I was like you know I just feel like I love this. And I knew I was letting it go. It was way late in my career. Mm-hmm. I was about to do the first IVF for my son. And uh, and my therapist and I kind of came to the conclusion that, you know, you need to know that in life you're asked to let things go that you love. Mm. That's like a part of being alive. People lose children. People lose parents. People lose love. Like, losing things you love is a part of the contract of coming here, yeah. of being here. So um, if I can't have that, like if I can't, if it doesn't happen, right. if I don't get to be the therapist to the Broadway community or the dancer community, fine. But that's the dream right now. So that's, that's incredible. Yes, yeah, so that's, what, that's what I've done and that's what I look forward to doing. I look forward to starting my master's program in September. I think that will be so cool to watch how that develops because your insight, um, your ability to articulate um, experiences through what you've been through, but not projecting that onto others, but just using that as a way that people feel safe to talk about things that are so abnormal and to try to explain what we do to people is so confusing. Yeah. So I'm thrilled for you. Yeah. I can't wait to see that. My come therapist about. was an ex, uh, best therapist ever. Um, was an ex actor. So mine was an ex actor as well. They can look at. He looked at me like with a like totally fucking get you. He was like, yes. I get, and he could look at me in the eye and say, I did it. It's mm. oh, like I don't. Yeah. You know what? He could look at me in the eye, and I could feel in the room with him that there would be a time where I didn't need it anymore. Right. You know, and so it was really for me very healing. I hope that I can be helpful. I know that my friend John has a couple of clients. Um, uh, that he has said are in the community. I don't know who they are, but. He has said that he has clients in the community, and it is very, um, mm. it's its a really special relationship. So interesting. I'm yeah. thrilled for you, truly. I Thank cannot you. wait to see. I'm excited. Um, it has been the best afternoon with you, and I'm going to finish off with a couple questions that I'm asking everybody that it have nothing to do with performing, uh, which we love. Terrific. Um, first question. Well, you basically just answered it, but let's say, therapist aside, what other job could you have if you weren't a performer? Daycare. Daycare. Love. If you were any animal, what would you be? What's your spirit A murderous animal? crocodile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Favorite food and drink? Uh, lasagna and seltzer. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> what is one thing you couldn't live without? It could be an object. It could My be... family. Yes. Boring. Sorry. Uh, it was deep and I liked it. Uh, what's your biggest pet peeve? Human beings. <laughs> I love the, you knew. How would you spend any day off where you have nothing to do? What's the perfect day off? Oh my God. I, uh, I would go on a sunny day. I would get a babysitter and get and go on a sunny day, uh, walking through New York City, get a massage, get a manicure, treating myself, meet with a friend and have a meal. Yes. Having a meal is always my day off excursion. What's your favorite curse word? Fuck. Yeah. Mine's motherfucker. I say it every episode. Um, what is happiness? Uh, life. 
being alive, all of the things, life, yeah, all of it. Being here is the luckiest thing in the world, if you're lucky. And yeah. not everybody is lucky, so that's right. important. If you are lucky, that's just like the social, if you are lucky, then what are you doing if you're not helping? you got to help. Absolutely. Yeah. Lisa, you are amazing. Thank you so, so much, especially everyone. She literally was in London yesterday, got off a plane, and children. headed to Ripley Greer to chat with us. So I, thank you. I would not miss it. Oh, you are the best. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. You're so smart. I love talking to you. I love talking to you. I hope you all enjoyed that as much as I did. Sitting down with Lisa is nothing short of an honor, and she is a fountain of wisdom. So thank you so much, Lisa, for sitting down with The Broad's Way. I have a little plug that I would like to share with all of you of a beautiful concert that is happening on June 28th in New York City. Clara Cox, Cameron Hill, and Gina Santer are producing Our Voice, Our Choice, a benefit concert for Access Reproductive Care Southeast Incorporated at the Green Room 42. This is going to be a night of music written by women for women, put on by an all-female identifying group of performers, creators, and musicians. Wow. In light of some extremely upsetting news concerning abortion laws and a woman's right to choose, we are here to declare that all women should have jurisdiction over their bodies and what is right for them regardless of circumstance. How incredible is that? You can go help them raise money for Access Reproductive Care Southeast. I will include a link in the notes section of this episode. And help them celebrate our stories, our freedom, and most of all, our power together. Get your tickets at the Green Room 42 website. Link will be in the notes. And they cannot wait to see you all Friday, June 28th at 9.30 p.m. Ladies and allies of ladies, If you can attend this concert, I absolutely think you should. You will see me there June 28th, 9.30 p.m. Rock on, gals.